We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another BuzzBeat episode. We are a member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can find our episodes on BlueWirePods.com, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Today's episode is sponsored by Untuck It, casual button-down shirts designed to be worn untucked. On today's episode, we're going to recap the game against the Raptors on Monday night. And then towards the end of the episode, we're going to answer some of your Twitter questions. But first, let's check in on Spencer. Spencer, how's everything going with you, man? Not too bad. Uh, busy time of year. Can't believe the holidays are almost here. I know. But, um, yeah, it feels... I was like excited for the beginning of basketball season. It already feels like we're like uh, up to our eyeballs in, into the middle of all this. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just rinse and repeat every year. But no, it's 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 good. I think it's weird because Thanksgiving is is the latest it can be uh, this year. But it also felt like it snuck up on me as well. So I can't believe it's it's next week. Uh, BG, I know your schedule has been getting more hectic with college basketball. Yeah. Do you have a question for you? What's what's wrong with my Gators? Uh, two losses so far. So I've only seen them play once, and it was the Florida State game. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon game a couple weeks ago, and just FSU is an elite defensive team, um, and they're switching one through five on a lot of stuff this year, and they just took away Kerry Blackshear's post threat. Gators couldn't hit a shot, and uh, yeah, that was quite a, that was quite a fun game. Um, pretty gross in the first half, but then things opened up a little bit in the second half. They'll, they'll be fine. That Florida team's got too much talent to not, to not be good, but FSU is going to make a lot of offenses look bad this year with their personnel. I can see the Gators doing what they did last year where they have like a ho-hum season, but then they kind of make more of a run towards the postseason and, and mm-hmm. people think about them. But I don't know. I, I just don't like how they play so slow, like they did last season. They're athletes. Yeah. I feel like they got to get out and run. But well, especially they got a guy named Scotty Lewis, who's a freshman, freshman there this yeah. year, and yeah, I mean he's one of the best athletes in, in college hoops. Um, but yeah, one would think they would want to get up and down. Uh, but now they're a little a little more methodical down in Gainesville. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the Hornets Raptors recap. The Hornets lost one thirty two ninety six on Monday night. They actually kept it close uh, for a half, guys, and and then by the third and fourth quarter, 
I started to kind of tune out, uh, you know, th- these big runs that the Raptors had in the third and fourth quarters, you know, put this game away. And this Raptors team clearly is, is a very good team and they can make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's crazy to say without Kawhi Leonard, uh, I thought maybe they'd be like a five or six seed heading into the playoffs. But man, they're, they're playing well. I have a lot of switchable players on the on the defensive end. Siakam's having a good season. OG and Yanobi's having a good season. So let's pick out some things uh, from this game. You know, one thing that I noticed as a plus for this Hornets uh, was the ball movement. I think the offense is, is clearly ahead of the defense for this team. A whole lot more issues on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just watching this team on the offensive end, it's more pleasing on the eyes to watch this team. A lot of driving kick action, getting the the Toronto defense to move, especially in the first half. It seems like that's where most of their success came. And, you know, running the pick and roll with Devontae Graham and swinging the ball around and, and getting that team to move. So I will say that the offense doesn't seem to be the problem with this team. Yes, they're not blowing it out of the water when it comes to some of the the efficiency stats. I'm sure they're probably middle of the road, middle of the pack there. I think they just ran into a lengthy, switchy team that turned it on in the second half. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this Hornets team, when Devontae Graham's on the court, they score the basketball pretty well. It's when Devontae sits that the things become problematic very quickly. And they sort of look like the offense that I thought they would this year, which is... Um, a lot of side-to-side, less north-south, uh, and then Rozier taking a, a bad shot off the dribble late in the clock. And yeah, when, when Rozier's on the court and Graham's off, the Hornets scoring under 94 points per 100 possessions in those minutes, over 200 of them now. But but as you sort of said, like the issues are, are more on the defensive end, and there's a, a lot to go through there. And we're going to talk about some of the issues they've had on the defensive glass, but Graham, because he's become just seemingly overnight. Now, it wasn't. He, he went through a, the ups and downs of a rookie season and clearly put in a ton of work in the 2019 offseason. But just having one guy that can shoot off the dribble, and at some point he'll probably come back down to earth a little bit, but he's a pretty confident off-dribble, pick-and-roll shooter and scorer. And he's also not bad at, at playmaking out of those looks too. But having one guy that can, with a dribble and a screen, something so simple, force rotation and and get defenses moving around, that's just given this offense a gear that I, I just didn't think they would have this year, that I thought without Kemba was gone until who, who knows when. And I thought it was going to be a lot of Rosier and Bacon isolation. Um, and so things are different for them. Turnover rate's still pretty high. Graham's still turning the ball out of the pick and roll a fair amount too. Um, but when he does just shoot the ball, it, it's going in at, at a good rate. But yeah, defensively, this team has, has much bigger issues. And of course, what P.J. Washington's brought to this team um, I'm, I almost feel like Borrego's most trusted play at this point is just some form of Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington pick and roll. But what P.J.'s done as a, as a floor spacer, and he's been brilliant from the corners, and he's been brilliant posting up on mismatches. He's had some huge games uh, scoring on the block out of the post, and usually they use that pick and roll to get into some of those looks too where they try to administer a, stro- a switch on a Graham Washington ball screen. So those guys have just overall raised, they've been floor raisers for this offense, um, especially Devontae Graham. Yeah, I think that the offense is certainly, you know, they have an offensive identity uh, here early in the season, which is nice to see because, 
you know, I think, Richie, to the point you were making, it's surprising. I thought that would maybe, I think most thought that would be the side of the floor that they struggled the most. Um, defensively, you know, you, you've seen James Borrego. I mean, we're on games like four or five now where he's pretty much almost exclusively off makes. Uh, certainly in the second and third quarters, they're going into this 2-2-1 uh, full court press that, that drops back into a 2-3 zone. And, you know, that's not as much – that really has nothing to do with de- defensive identity and more to do with mm-hmm. just trying to take the opposition out of what they're trying to do offensively and, and slow the game down on that side a little bit. I mean, Brago knows that opposition, certainly the Raptors, uh, with a guy like Pascal Siakam, are going to get to the rim at will if you don't have a wall in front of them. So, you know, I think that's <clears throat> really been the reason for this zone defense. But, yeah, I mean, look, offensively, I would say at this point, like, the Hornets might be a little too unselfish uh, some of the times. I mean, Devontae Graham's really the only guy who feels comfortable taking the ball off the dribble, beating his man, or coming out, you know, off a pick and roll and making a play really, you know, through the pass or through the shot. Um, Terry Rozier has looked uncomfortable most of the season. You know, Miles Bridges has his spots, but a lot of times he'll be passive. Uh, the only other guy to really mention there is P.J. Washington. I mean, certainly just an unbelievable catch-and-shoot power forward so far, and, yeah. and Brian highlighted that. Um, but, yeah, it's look, it's it's been refreshing to see this team be as unselfish and, and, and play together as much as they have offensively. I just didn't think I would find myself saying maybe a little too unselfish at this point. Maybe let's take some more shots, you know. So Because uh, I think that's leading to more live ball turnovers, and we saw 20 of yeah. those. Uh, or they weren't all live ball turnovers, but you know the Hornets turning the ball over a lot last night, and for a team that already struggles defensively, certainly in transition, they cannot have these live ball turnovers. So when you have a slither uh, of space, you got to put the shot up, and and that's something that look we're moving the ball, guys. We have the right ideas. Let's take more shots when we have some space here. You and can, you know, knock out some of these turnovers. And to your point, Spencer, the, the Hornets average 277 passes per game, which is middle of the road there. Against the Raptors on Monday night, they made 337 passes, which you know that's a number that would lead the league. Now, some of those, like you said, Spencer, are probably ones where they made it where they didn't have to. You know, passing up an open shot. So Borrego has clearly drilled this team on ball movement and not letting the ball stick. But at certain points, you got to take open shots. And I think one of the biggest, I guess, players that does this is is actually Nick Batum. I know he's only played a handful of games so far this season. But I've noticed with his confidence, like if he misses a shot, especially like one or two possessions before, that next possession, he's going to pass up an open shot. And and I think that that's something that's always worried me with Batum. And, and you know, he's too unselfish to a point. So, yeah, those passes last night, there were a lot of them. I think half of it was the fact that Borrego has drilled in this philosophy of making the extra pass, but also, to Spencer's point, we do need to be putting up open shots a whole lot more, especially against a very lengthy Raptors team. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. Real ahead, quick. Spencer. Yeah, 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 no, real quick. I just – shout out to the Raptors. Like, Yeah, agree. I mean, they're just – they have good athletes, right? Like mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi – um, Norman Powell's even a great athlete. You know, Terrence Davis gives him a lift off the bench defensively. Like, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, another lengthy guy. Mm-hmm. But they play together, and they Boucher play too. so they play so freak. And Boucher is another one. They play so hard on the defensive end 
that I mean that's what I noticed more over everything else last night is the Hornets were overwhelmed with the defensive intensity of the Raptors, mm-hmm. and you just don't see that night in and night out uh, in this league. And they do it through their player development. I mean, yeah. guys like Boucher and Matt Thomas and Malcolm Miller, you know, and Terrence Davis getting minutes like this. These are not players that are going to play in the postseason. Maybe Hollis Jefferson, mm-hmm. probably not Davis, Boucher, or Thomas. But they get the most out of these guys, and they get so much effort, which is why they're able to keep this intensity up over 82 games. It's like Miami and Toronto. Those are the only two organizations I can really think of that get 100% effort on that end of the floor every single night. They feel, I was thinking with this, the Raptors last night, they feel the Heat's a great comparison. Um, they feel almost like Spursy at the at this point now, too, in terms of their ball movement offensively built around this one dribble drive penetrator as opposed to Parker, Tony Parker, it's Fred Van Vliet. But just like there's just the overall synergy because of the buy-in defensively and everyone playing hard as hell and, and the ball movement offensively, it just it they're better than the sum of their parts. Now, of course, it ha- helps to have a guy like Siakam that's just, you know, through his own work, through the system, and, and everything, and through where the you know how the league has evolved. Like he's just become a, a superstar overnight. But Ananobi's been amazing so far this year. He was and he was terrific. He had probably one of his best offensive games ever last night against the Hornets, but I, I'm just so impressed with, with Toronto. And they, Spencer, they did this last year too with all, with the load management, with guys were in and out of the lineup at times last season, but like Lorenzo Brown is an NC state product. He gave them 20, 25 games last year. You know what I mean? He finished the season in like China, I think actually, but yeah. he helped, he helped them win a couple games early on, you know, like in, in obviously he wasn't even on the roster come playoff time, but like you said, they're getting, he was a big part of their G league affiliate and, and he helped the, the parent club win some games too. One other thing, I'll just throw this in here too. Nick Batum. I know he's just getting back from injury and, and more on him in a little bit, just 9% usage rate in his first three games so far this season. Again, it, it's just, it's more of the same with this guy when it comes to him passing up shots. And Spencer also mentioned um, just this team having an identity. And, and I want to give a tip of the cap to James Borrego on that. I think that's he and his staff, they get a lot of credit for, for being able to install a system that's a little different than what they were playing where, when it was Kemba Ball all of last season. They get some credit for doing that with a pretty young roster and a fair amount of turnover. Uh, Charlotte, 10th in the NBA in effective shooting, 53%. Um, 38% of their field goal attempts have been at the rim. That's 6th in the NBA. 8.5% um, of their field goal attempts have been corner threes. That's also top 10 in the NBA, too. Like mm-hmm. This team overnight stopped shooting mid-range shots and is yep. attacking the rim and, and chucking threes and just let them get the pieces in place to play this style of ball a year from now, two years from now, whatever. And, and I think you could really see some exciting basketball offensively. Yeah, I agree. I agree, BG. I mean, it really has been impressive how quickly – uh, Borrego has gotten this team to buy in on that end of the, end of the floor, and that will pay dividends. Like we, we know that if we can, if he can keep that consistent, you know, which he should be able to do with a young team without really a star that's going to dominate the ball. Um, it, now you have a plan going forward. Now you know the kind of guy you want to go get in free agent, not in free agency. Now you know the kind of player that you want to draft because you didn't put the horse before the cart, right? Or excuse me, you didn't put the cart before the horse. You built exactly. the system and came in behind it and filled it in with the right pieces. So this is the step one that we needed. All right, let's stick to the positives here and talk about Untuck It. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means, gifts. 
And what better gift to give the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, Untucket shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucket shirts always fall at the just right length, no matter your size. For work, I wear button-down shirts probably 90% of the time. There are some days I wish I could just untuck the shirt and go a little bit more casual, but I can't do that because most shirts don't look right when they are untucked. This is where Untuck It comes into play. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big. Choose from more than 50 fit combinations. Untuck It shirts look good on tall, short, slim, athletic, and guys of all ages. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use blue for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code blue for 20% off. All right, let's stick on this game. I know we were talking a little bit more about the positives. Uh, Let's kind of highlight some of the negatives with this game. The Toronto Raptors uh, transition offense, they really do love to push the pace. Uh, they are second to only the Milwaukee Bucks in frequency of plays in transition. But in terms of efficiency, they are the best team uh, when it comes to scoring off steals and off misses. And then when you look at the opposite end, I think this has been a, a trend for multiple season. The Hornets defense uh, is bottom five in the league when it comes to stopping transition points. That just seems to be a struggle with them over the past couple of seasons. The communication's just not there. They don't pick up players uh, before it's too late. So, you know, with the turnovers that some of the Hornets have had, clearly they're wasting offensive possessions, but they're also killing themselves on the defensive end because they aren't a good transition defensive team. So is this something, guys, that's probably going to be sticking around for the course of the season? Or, I mean, what, what would you suggest to overcome this issue? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think it's going to be hard uh, with a young team, young players that you want to be unselfish, to share the basketball, to play a driving kick. Um, you know, the more that that profile unveils itself to the league, you know, the more the teams, and we've already seen this, are, g- are going to stick to the three-point line and, and, and you know, be less motivated to help off their man. I mean, there's going to be live ball turnovers. And so mm-hmm. – you know, I, I think the fix to that is hard, or just other than just going through mm-hmm. the development with these young guys and, and and helping them understand when you do put the ball on the floor and you're attacking, let's slow down. There's no reason to be in a rush. Let's use our pivot foot. Let's use our ball fakes. Right. Let's use our eyes to throw defenders off. It's it's the little fundamentals because in positionless five out, share the ball, drive and kick, basketball. You're not really running plays. You'll run your secondary break, but beyond that, you're just trying to get the defense to fold and bend, and, and now you're driving and kicking and sharing. So it's really it's really thinking less, right, reacting to the game. And that's hard to do when you don't have a lot of reps, which a lot of the guys on this team don't. So I know that's not really an answer, but I think it's just working <laughs> through those fundamentals with this young group. And, and we knew this season was going to be that anyway. It's development, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that Devontae Graham – 
he's turning it over more this season, but we certainly knew that was coming with his, with, you know, with the load that he was going to carry. It had to happen, you know, but he's still, he's still dishing out just as many assists uh, on a percentage standpoint as he has in the past. You know, Miles Bridges, a guy that's going to struggle, you know, not a great decision maker with mm-hmm. the ball in his hands when he's, when he's closing that, going by a closing out defender. Malik Monk, also going to struggle, but we've seen him take little baby steps. He certainly looks like he's more under control this season when he's driving the basketball. Um, so, yeah, again, I know it's not an answer, but I just think it's working through with these guys how to value the basketball but also play drive and kick. Think about how many possessions I'd love to I'd love to see you know, uh, you know, a quick study on this or, or someone crunch the numbers on this. But like think how many possessions for Charlotte are used by guys that are 25 or under or in their second year of the NBA or third year of the NBA and under, right? Like you know, all, of, of the guys that are handling the ball, you've got Rozier, Monk, Graham, uh, Bacon, obviously, PJ, Bridges. Like, those are the guys that are in, I mean, Zeller to an extent as well, too. Is, they've used him as a, as a creator offensively in half court this year, too. But, like, so many of those guys that I just mentioned, basically all of them minus Zeller, are 25 or under. And basically all of those guys... Minus Zeller and Rozier are in their third year or their second year or their rookies in the NBA. So they're just young, as Spencer supported getting at. And a team like Toronto, like, man, that team, they like to get it and go, grab and goes with Siakam. Um, the Raptors are averaging just 10.6 seconds per offensive possession after a defensive rebound. Um, that's uh, number six in the NBA, the Hornets are actually number two at 10.3 seconds per offensive possession um, after a defensive rebound. And after a turnover, um, the Raptors are also top 10 in pace for off, like, you know, in terms of time of, you know, in terms of possession length after mm-hmm. a turnover. Um, so this is a team that likes to get it and go. So they ran into a bit of a buzzsaw um, last night. And I think another thing, too, even if it's not in transition, uh, some of the defense on the half court. It's not good as well. I mean, this Hornets team has a lot of issues on that side of the ball. Their perimeter defense uh, is still a struggle, and I feel like I've been talking about this since this buzz beat has started. Uh, we just don't have players that have that want to. Well, on- Richie, not to interrupt you, but yep. one other thing that they could do, and I meant to say this a second ago, yep. you could play Cody Martin more. Is what you could do because they actually do have a guy on this yeah, roster, go. and he's a rookie, and the guy's bird rights. But they got a guy that wants to be a stopper, or at least would like to try to be a stopper. But a guy that certainly can have an impact defensively. No um, question. And yeah. and they got to find a way to get this guy more minutes, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And I think so, when you look yeah. at the Hornets, a lot of people talk about the paint defense and the defense defending the rim. But I think that starts out on the perimeter first. I mean, I think Cody Zeller's not the issue here in terms of him having to clean up the mistakes from the people out on the perimeter. But you're right, Brian. Cody Martin needs to see more time. And uh, I know it's situational and he's young and, and things like that. But uh, I would love to see him on the court a whole lot more. Yeah, real real quick on the Cody Martin thing. I was going to save this till uh, later when we were answering some of the questions we got from the listeners. But um, best defensive rating on the team so far this year, 104.2. Yeah. Uh, I know those individual you know defensive rating numbers can be a little a little loaded, but um, that's filtering out a few guys. So if you played you know among guys that played 12 or more minutes per game, uh, he's the only guy that's played 12 or more minutes uh, on this team that has a positive net rating as well. So I mean he's playing 13 minutes a game. He's played 13 games this season. That's not a nothing stat. It is a small yeah. sample size, but it's definitely not a nothing stat. And I, I think that we just need more players like him that can defend out on the perimeter and not force our defense to kind of go into this scramble mode 
And I don't know what you guys think about this. We saw this, you know, on display last night in terms of trapping pick and rolls. And they have a great player, a great big Gasol who can pass the ball. So we trapped pick and rolls like pretty much all season uh, in a variety of situations. And if you're not disrupting the passer or making the opponent make a pass, you know, out to the perimeter or sideways, it puts your defense into scramble mode. And we saw a lot of that last night. Uh, Just to kind of throw out a stat, you know, Gasol was working a lot of those four on threes, making the pass to the corner, and the Raptors were just absolutely killing in that all, spot. He was awesome. Before. He was awesome yeah. last night. Gasol and so t- Toronto is a very good catch and shoot team, but on the season they scored thirty five points off of catch and shoot attempts. On Monday night they scored fifty one points, and I think a lot of that was because of our our pick and roll defense. So I mean, I don't know what your thoughts on are on the pick and roll defense. I mean. Obviously, the alternative could be that you drop, but we are trapping really hard. And then what's happening is we're not forcing the defense to make this pass out to the perimeter or sideways, and they're getting right in the paint. And we're always scrambling one pass behind. Yeah, part of the problem here is when you trap with guys, it's the same problem we had when we asked Kemba Walker to trap. When you trap with guys like Devontae Graham or Kimball Walker, smart players like Fred Van Fleet know to escape dribble one time, jump in the air, and throw it over the small guy. I mean, really, that's it. And you, if you go back and look at some of the film last night, that's all he was doing. He was just yeah. throwing it over easy. Devontae. Easy. Yeah, e- easy, yeah. And I would say you could, the Hornets could have adjusted and trapped a little bit harder. They were leaving a little bit too many creases. Devontae was dropping off a little bit. If you're going to trap and you're going to ask Zeller or Biz to step out that far, then the guard should be out that far. He should not be retreating towards the rim. So, so he was just lobbing it into Gasol, and then Gasol is playing four on three, right? Like, Easy and that's money. just that's shooting fish, in, shooting fish in a barrel for that, right? Dude, right, you know? candy, candy from a baby. I mean, it's so it's too easy. Um, you know, it, again, it, it just goes back to if the Hornets can't get makes and get back into that zone, that little matchup zone. Uh, I, I think they're just there's going to be so many gaps in the defense because you can trap and try to slow the play down. But we saw it last night with Terrence Davis too. I, th- I think it was Davis. Maybe it was Ananobi who beat, uh, who beat miles on a backdoor and Batum got beat on a backdoor for a dunk. So even when you get to the second level and you have a, you know, a guy like biz in there, that can maybe help you protect the rim. There's just too many guys that bridges got smoked back door too last night as well. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me something new. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many guys that just aren't, aren't locked in on the second action on the third action knowing exactly where they need to be in help while also knowing where their man is. Uh, and it wasn't really complex cuts um, and, yeah. and, and ball movement from Toronto last night. It was just taking what the defense was giving. And unfortunately, with this young, these young guys, they give way, way too much on a regular basis. All right, so let's get on to the second half of this podcast, uh, answering some of your Twitter questions. The first one comes from Kimba Talker on Twitter. How do you think Batum's return will affect Bacon's minutes once he's healthy? And if he continues to struggle, how should they handle his role this season? Should they reduce his playing time versus letting him try to play through it uh, with the decision of whether or not to offer an extension looming? So since Batum has returned against that Knicks team on Saturday night, Batum has played 29 minutes and 25 minutes respectively. And then Bacon didn't play at all against the Knicks. And Mm -hmm. really, he only played against the Raptors because it was garbage time. I think he had seven or eight minutes there. Mm -hmm. I think... This is what Borrego is going to do for the foreseeable future. We're going to see more Batum, less Bacon. I think he does value Batum's passing, 
you know, his above average defense. I feel like you just know what you're getting out of Batum. Uh, I guess the big question, BG, is this. is Do you agree with the way that he's handling this, or does it not make much sense to have Batum play this amount of minutes versus Bacon only playing five? In, in a vacuum, no, I don't. I don't totally agree with it, though I do see the why James Rago is playing uh, Nicholas Batum. He's a veteran. He's an expensive veteran, and he does offer this one plus skill of that he's a, an unselfish player and a good passer with good vision, and he made some plays for them. Uh, in the uh, the New York win the other night, but I'll be honest with you, with you guys, like when it comes to Bacon and and Cody Martin, like these guys are gonna if 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 the if James Borrego is gonna play Nick Batum 25, 30 minutes a game, and we're gonna see a lot of two guard lineups with Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier, and that that for right now, I mean, this is a long season. Stuff's definitely going to change, but for just right now, as we're recording this on November 19th, like, it's hard to see those guys getting a ton of minutes because Miles has got to play, and if you're going to be not just – if you're not going to be just splitting the 48-point guard minutes with Rozier and Graham, and those guys are going to be playing, you know, 10 minutes each half, 8 minutes each half together, like, I just don't know where you find time for Dwayne Bacon – and if anything, you can you, you can sort of squint and carve out some minutes for Cody Martin just because he's such an excellent defensive player and is a guy that just doesn't need the basketball offensively the way Dwayne does. But yeah, it's going to be tough to find a way to, to to carve out minutes for both of those guys, let alone you know you know let alone one of them. And uh, I just want to spit this stuff out here with um with Cody Martin, just a couple three quick numbers here. These are numbers per 36 minutes for Cody Martin, according to NBA tracking data, which can be a little wonky, but I think it's actually good on some of this stuff here. Uh, Cody Martin, 4.3 deflections per 36 minutes, 1.2 charges drawn per 36 minutes, and 6.5 contested three-pointers per 36 minutes. All of those numbers are tops on Charlotte's roster. They need to find a way to play this guy, and I just don't know how they're going to do it if they're if they're splitting time with Graham and, and, and Rozier and those guys are playing together. And then also Nick Batum is just going to be, you can pencil in him in for 20, 25 minutes a game. Like I just don't know where the PT is going to come from. Yeah. I think this is a good question. And I think it has multiple layers that are pretty interesting. I, I think the first thing is like when you think of the top four usage players on this roster, so you think of Malik, well, Malik Monk wouldn't come first, but he's in that top four, <laughs> Terry Rozier, Devonte Graham, and now you bring you know and Miles Bridges, who you who you need to continue to find a way to uh, to develop on the offensive side of the ball, and now Nick Batum's coming back, who his role is going to be a connector of the offense, which I, I think is important for what we were talking about earlier. A team that wants to keep the ball moving, he'll definitely do that. Um, you know, I just I don't know where I don't know where Dwayne Bacon fits into that. The other thing is, I think that. This is a little bit of a decision between who's the more important development piece here, Malik Monk or Dwayne Bacon. Yeah. Because I think I think Malik Monk fits better, much better, next to Nick Batum mm-hmm. um, because he's allowed to have the ball in his hands more often, which he needs. Uh, and again, Batum keeps the offense moving. So I, I think it's a little bit of a value proposition from that standpoint. You know, and 
it's just Monk, like here's here's also, the, Monk is also a former first round pick and two and a half years younger too, which is yeah, yeah, the, that's that, right. Yeah, that Dwayne Bacon is twenty four years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, Bacon is he's extension eligible now. Yeah. I think it's pretty pretty obvious that they're not sitting down at the table <laughs> and hamming out, yeah. uh, hammering over an extension, but. You know, he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. The Hornets have full bird rights. I, I think as we sit here today, it's pretty obvious that they're going to tell him, you know, go find an offer sheet. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd be happy to have him back probably, I would guess, on his $2 million qualifying offer or whatever yeah. it is. But, you know, I, I just think it's like Monk's the more important development piece. We've seen some promise from him this summer. Um, we can start having conversations with him th- this summer about an extension. You know they're going to have a ton of cap space. They can either use that through a trade or free agency. So like, and and now we're starting to talk about Cody Martin, really, who's the more valuable tenth roster or tenth rotation piece here. And you know we'd like to keep him in this rotation long term. Now you're just you're starting to see a scenario where team building meets the players that we need to develop going forward. And you know Dwayne Bacon just kind of gets squeezed out here. I think what the issue is with Dwayne Bacon is the one thing that he does well, he's not doing well. Like, you know, his isolation scoring, uh, he's not been doing well from behind the arc or getting to the rim. So if he's not having that going for him, like what else does he offer? At least Batum and Cody Martin have some things that you can point to that are steady. You know, Dwayne Bacon right now is not steady. And to your point, Brian, maybe Cody Martin is the bigger developmental piece right now. He with without Dwayne fully committing to becoming a defensive, a, you know, a, a strong defensive player. If that's even something that's in the cards for him, I, you know, I don't know if this is just something that he he grits his teeth and he works hard and he becomes better. But short of that, yeah, Martin is clearly a better development ship. He's a lower usage player. Um, I mean, if the shot ever comes online, you really have something with Cody Martin. But he's a guy that just impacts the game the way. I'm not comparing. Cody Martin to Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is a much, much, much better player, but he's the kind of guy that can have that sort of impact by just running around making smart plays. Man, the save he had against Detroit the other night where the ball was about to go on out of bounds or in East Charlotte's mm-hmm. basket, and he dove and deflected it, and Malik went flying up and up to, up to the court to go get a layup. Like that, I mean, that is special high-level basketball. I, I can have a serious impact. By doing all the little things, I don't need to shoot the ball, and and yet, and Dwayne just doesn't have that. And I'll say this too about about Bake because I really like Dwayne a lot, and he closed the season super strong last season, and I think he played himself into becoming a at the hey at the least this guy is a rotation guard in the NBA. But as this guy's heading into restricted free agency um, in in the summer of 2020, like this season could not. And again, long season. We got a ways to go, but mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. could not have gotten off to a worse start for Dwayne Bacon, which was he's got an, an effective shooting percentage under thirty nine percent, forty six percent shooting at the rim, twenty eight percent shooting on threes, twenty nine percent shooting from mid range. This team's basically phasing out its mid range attempts to an extent, which is where Dwayne likes to live more than maybe anybody on the roster. Malik's really bought into that. Maybe not Dwayne quite as much. And then he got hurt. And then some of the other young wings like Monk and Martin have played well. Nick Batum came back, and all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know where Dwayne Bacon fits into this. In the, in the offseason, we're discussing, is he going to lead the team in scoring? And right, now we're right. like, when the yeah. hell is this guy going to even find playing time unless like they send him down to Greensboro, you know? Yeah, I think it was three things with him. You know, in, in the very short amount of time we watched him play extremely well at the end of last season, it was the first two, he can get to the rack and score, 
and and he was getting to the free throw line at a pretty decent rate. And he was shooting. I mean, he was making shots from behind the arc. So you're thinking, okay, if those two things are sustainable, we've got an offensive player. Yeah, he likes to live in the mid range, but like he's doing these other two things really well, which are really important. And then you look at his frame. He's only six five, not a super tall guy. But you look at his frames. Like this guy can hold his own. And for a coach who wants to play a smaller, more switchable style of defense. So we think maybe he could develop into a better defensive player. So the idea was he sustains a little bit of what he showed offensively and then improved defensively, and every single one of those things has gotten worse. So to Brian's point, you just couldn't have gotten off to a worse start for Dwayne. You know, but this stuff is all fluid with a young team, totally. as we know. This is not going to totally. be that. You know, this is not going to be the the rotation for the rest of the season. There's going to be an injury come along. So, you know, certainly none of us are saying give up on Dwayne Bacon right now. No. But, but yeah. this is this is not a good start, and he's he has got to find a way to dig deep and get back. I mean, he's he's going to have to practice hard, right? Yeah. Like I would imagine that Borrego is handling the, these rotations and these minutes allocations. You know, by what do you show me in practice? How hard are you working consistently? This is young team stuff. So, Dwayne, if you're listening, keep your head up, man. We want to see you get back out there. Yeah. And I'll be the first to say that I was very high on him in the offseason. And I even contemplated, I think I even said that I, he would lead the team in scoring. But uh, not looking so hot right now. So let, let's go on to the next question. And, and these are from two different people on Twitter. This question overlaps. So the first one, at Corbin NBA. He says, thoughts on the Rozier-Graham backcourt as a possible fixture moving forward. And then at the British underscore buzz, he says, is Terry Rozier a point guard? All the stats say he's more effective at the two. So I mentioned this on the last episode with Jack Duffy, but I've come to the conclusion that, that Rozier is really not a true point guard. I think even in today's NBA, where positions are a little less defined, I still think that Rozier needs to see reduced time on the ball. And he has. I think when he's paired with Devontae Graham, he's going to be off ball. Even when he's paired with Monk at times, Monk sees the ball a little bit more than Mm -hmm. he does. And Rozier has been very, very good as a spot-up shooter this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Maybe BG does, but... You know, that's obviously something that's going to point to him playing a little bit more off ball. And I think this is the way that you have to go moving forward. Put D, uh, DG at the one, Terry Rozier at the two. I think even Brian mentioned this before Bacon got injured. And, uh, it, it, you know, it keeps Rozier off ball where he excels. Mm-hmm. It keeps the ball moving because anytime that Rozier plays as the point guard, it feels like the ball sticks yeah. a little bit more. But again, you can always stagger minutes. I, th- I think with starting Graham and Rozier together, it allows that opportunity to stagger a little bit more. So maybe Graham comes off in the first quarter a little bit early, and then you place in Monk. And then you have Monk and Rozier playing together. Mm-hmm. While that's not the best tandem defensively, uh, you still have a playmaker in Monk or put Batum out there with Rozier. So no, Rozier to me is not a point guard, and I do like this pairing with Graham uh, and Rozier together because it does put Rozier in the best place to succeed, which is off ball. Yeah, I mean, you've been seeing it a lot. We've all been seeing it the last couple games, right? Like, those guys are starting together, and Devontae Graham, I mean, the first possession in every game, first all these possessions together, like, it's Devontae Graham on the basketball. Um, and then he comes out a couple minutes into the game, maybe around the six-minute mark. Monk comes in, then Rozier slides over to the one. You know, long-term, I'm not – 
you know, married to this as like the backcourt of the future for Charlotte. But for right now, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good with it actually for the most part. And those guys, they're both under contract, Graham for two more years, Rozier for three, um, <laughs> somewhat unfortunately. So yeah, you're going to see a lot of these two guys together going forward. But just want to spit some, some numbers out here real, real quickly here. Graham, 76 touches per game. Terry Rozier, 67 touches per game. Graham, time of possession per game, seven minutes. Uh, Rozier, time of possession, four and a half minutes. Graham also averaging five dribbles per touch to Rozier, 3.7 dribbles per touch. All of those numbers have gone way, way up for Devontae the last three games since he moved to the starting lineup. Um, Terry Rozier with Devontae Graham on the court, 23% usage. 17% assist rate, Charlotte scoring 112 points per 100 possessions, uh, 237 minutes. Terry Rozier um, in 208 minutes with Devontae Graham off the court, 26% usage, so that goes up. 33% assist rate, so that goes way up. Charlotte's offensive efficiency goes way down, 94 points per 100 possessions. And just like Graham has used way more pick-and-roll possessions, he's in terms of his own shot, he's in get, you know drawing shooting fouls. He's pa- I could I'll stop spitting numbers out, but I, I maybe I'll tweet him out at some point. But like he's used more pick and roll possessions. He's passed out of the pick and roll way more effectively, and in terms of volume, he's just done it way way more than Terry Rozier has. So Graham far bigger volume as a pick and roll creator this year, and far more efficiency than Terry Rozier. Like there's no doubt if you can get Rozier to buy into the fact that yeah you're starting at the two and you're sort of a combo guy then that's what you got to roll with going forward, at least for the time being. Yeah, this is an awkward situation for the Hornets to be in uh, approaching this summer where they're going to have to <clears throat> re-sign Devontae Graham. Um, you know, you just handed out this money to Terry Rozier, and, of course, none of us thought that there was a big extension coming for <laughs> Devontae Graham, and I guarantee you the front office didn't think it. But here we are, uh, and so that's going to be a little harder of a bullet to bite. Um you know, I, I think it's obvious Devontae Graham is demonstrably the better player. He has a great feel offensively. Um, man, his patience, how he uses his eyes to look off defenders, the angles he can throw passes at, uh, the patience he has. I mean, the game is just – he's under control of the speed of the game. It's really impressive. Um, Terry Rozier, he needs to play off ball. There's no question about that. Um, I would contend that he almost fits more as like a, a third cog, a third wheel you know, on an offense. And, and I think the Hornets would behoove themselves to, to get to this Rozier, Graham, Monk trio more often. It's mm-hmm. We haven't seen it much at all, just 44 possessions, according to Clean the Glass. But, I mean, they're killing it offensively. Uh, defensively, they're getting lit on fire. But, <laughs> I mean, the, but the difference, how how good the team is operating offensively uh, just, just overweighs it drastically for how they struggle on the defensive end. So I think that having Nick Batum back helps them at least get to that lineup a yeah. little bit more often. Um, I mean, the Rosier, Graham, Monk, P.J. Washington, Marvin Williams, you know, the true small ball lineup ha- has been awesome for the Hornets this year. So, you know, I, I hope that Matum, Batum being back helps them get um, – helps them put Rosier – in even a third cog offensive role more often. I know it's going to be hard to get to that, you know, on this team with how thin this roster is. But the more they can do that, I think that Rozier can exist as that, um, you know, end of shot clock creator, kind of third option, and energy guy because he's a good offensive rebound. So they can get him off off the ball and, and encourage him to attack the offensive glass. Um, you know, I, I think that, that that's kind of where he's at his best. He, you just can't ask. You can't throw him the ball. Ask him to get in the pick and roll. 
and run an offense. Mm-hmm. It's not the type, kind of player he is now, and it's not the kind of player he'll ever be. Yeah, Terry Rozier, Richie, let me just spit this out real quickly because we were talking about his, sh- his shooting numbers here. Uh, Rozier off screens this year, 68% effective shooting, 1.3 points per possession, which is a big number. Uh, 49% uh, three-point shooting off the catch this year. That's 23% of his field goal attempts. That, you know, that'll come down some, but that, if that nestles in around 40%, that's still pretty damn good. Um, 69.2% effective shooting on catch and shoots in the half court. That's a top 10 number in the NBA on guys with 30 or more field goals. Now flip that over to off the dribble shooting in the half court. The efficiency drops down to 38.3% effective shooting on off dribble uh, attempts in the half court. Of the 32 guys that have taken at least 50 of those off dribble half court jumpers so far this season, Rozier ranks 29th in terms of efficiency out of that group. So yeah. This guy has so far this year been pretty damn good shooting off the catch, running off screens. Gives you know he's not JJ freaking Redick, but gives the, the <laughs> Hornets a guy that can run around and move a defense around a little bit when they when they bring him off floppy action or whatever. And obviously Graham's been you know Graham shooting forty five percent on catch and shoot threes. He's been damn good too. So clearly this guy is better suited to play off the ball than mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, and I think I think he's been more willing to catch and shoot the ball even over the last week, you know, maybe three or four games. I mean, early in the season we saw him the few times he was off the ball, he'd catch it uh, and it's almost like the play stopped and he would yeah. let the defense reset and then go into his herky-jerky, you know, probing action. So it, just him catching the ball and not thinking, not trying to outthink everything else on the floor and just shooting the ball, I think it's made a huge difference here. He's definitely played better uh, the past couple of games, Rozier that is, and I think part of that is the fact that he's played off ball. So let's get to the last question uh, of this podcast from British underscore Buzz. Again, he asked, PJ Washington having a very good year. He is Charlotte's best rookie since. Finish or fill in the blank here. So I, I was tempted to say Baron Davis back in 1999, but the funny thing is, I looked at his stats his rookie season, and I was a big fan of that draft going into it. I remember wanting either Lamar Odom or or Stevie Franchise or or B. Diddy coming out of UCLA there. But if you actually look at his numbers his rookie season, it wasn't as impressive as I thought uh, or as I remember. Obviously, that's, that's way back when, back when I was like 11 years old there. So I don't exactly remember how he played his rookie year, but I just remember him being a good Hornet. He clearly played better in his second and third and fourth seasons. So to answer this question, I originally was going to go Baron Davis, but I guess I got to go Emeka Okafor. I I think that's the better answer here, uh, averaging a double-double, and he actually won the uh, the Rookie of the Year over Dwight Howard back in 2004. So um, he just just wasn't as exciting of a player as B. Diddy, but that to me is my answer, Emeka Okafor. Yeah, I guess since since the Hornets since the team returned to Charlotte, right? I I went way back because I was like I can't do this depressing exercise since we returned to Charlotte. I, I've got to go back. So, and I complete. I always forget this, and I do this exercise maybe once every two years or so. Go back to those good early '90s Hornets teams, but. <sighs> Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning. Yeah. So consecutive year, back to back years, the Hornets drafted these guys. Can you even imagine this? Listen, listen to these numbers. Larry Johnson, rookie season, nineteen point two points per game, eleven rebounds per game, three and a half assists, one steal, half a block. 
Um, unbelievable. Okay, there, so there's your rookie 91 season. Now here comes the 92 season. You're thinking, okay, we got something cooking. Oh, it gets better. Alonzo Mourning, 21 points, three and a half blocks uh, <laughs> per game, 10.3 rebounds. I mean, can you imagine drafting players that impactful their first year back-to-back seasons? It's no. I, I always forget that, like, how quickly the franchise pivoted solely based on those two draft picks. And, and the Mazzell one could have been Shaq too, right? Like if they got that's the number, right. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's just it's crazy to think about how the, how that lottery has just altered the course of 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 you know sports entertainment history. It's totally nuts if you peel it back like that. But those numbers are so with Zoe and, and Grandma Ma. They're, like, they're awesome. They also just totally just there's. You can tell that D- you're like, yes, that was sport. 30 years ago because these dudes yeah, came in, they were 22, sport. 23 years old, and you know you were playing through the post. You know what I mean? So, right, we're still playing volleyball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, like, dude, drop Larry Johnson in 2019 NBA basketball, and he would be freaking awesome too. I mean, as a guy who's just sort of ahead of his time, but um, but yeah. So I'll, I'll say since Okafor, that's sort of the cop out. But honestly, part of me just wants to say PJ's the best guy since those dudes almost 30 years ago. Were you guys tempted to say Kirk Haston? Oh, uh, oh, he was on the tip Lord. of my tongue there, Ooh. Richie. <laughs> okay. Wow. So the Hornets, uh, for the rest of the week, they play Brooklyn Nets next. Uh, they have Washington on Friday. Uh, pretty bad team there. That should be a victory, although they've been very good on the offensive end. Uh, and then they have a back-to-back with Chicago on Saturday. So, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of BuzzBeat. As always, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. For Brian and for Spencer, I am Richie. Go Hornets. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.